Hi everyone, I'm your host, Sean Lee Davis. I'm a filmmaker, conservationist, green entrepreneur, and impact investor. And this is Our Future Nature, a podcast spotlighting the ideas, technologies, and solutions for a more sustainable world. In this season of the podcast, we'll be speaking to advocates, entrepreneurs, scientists, and thought leaders about global environmental and social issues and how we can go about solving them. I aim to separate the real talk from the greenwash and dive deep into novel technologies and solutions to help you understand just how exciting sustainability can be. With that said, let's get on with today's episode. Josh, welcome to Singapore. Tell us why you're here and what's so special about the event today. Uh, we're here to celebrate the groundbreaking of the largest cultivated meat facility in Asia uh, that'll house the largest production vessel anywhere in the world to make real meat without the need to slaughter an animal. Um, and we welcomed uh, students and uh, minister and uh, hawker stall owners, and they were all here um, hearing about what we're doing and, and also eating some chicken to, uh, to really celebrate. Fantastic, sounds tasty, can't wait to try it. Now, a lot of people might think twice about eating chicken that's grown in a bioreactor. Tell us a little bit about the process and why people shouldn't yeah. be worried about that. Before. Well, I think, I think first, folks have to realize how chicken is produced today. So you have 80 billion chickens eating a lot of soy and corn that requires a lot of land and a lot of water. And those resources eventually go into the chicken and we slaughter the chicken after 45 days. That's how your chicken is made today. What we're saying is we want to give you what you're used to on your plate, chicken curry, chicken dumplings, chicken satay, chicken and rice, but in a way that's just a lot more efficient, in a way that's healthier for us and for the animals. So we start with the cell. We don't need live animals. We don't need billions of them. We don't need hundreds of millions of acres of rainforest. And we feed that cell nutrients, vitamins and minerals, amino acids. And then we cultivate it or culture it in a vessel. It's a stainless steel vessel, kind of looks like a brewery if you were walking around this facility when it's up and running. And you can make meat in a much safer way. And we do see this as the next step on the evolution of how we make meat. In the past, we had lots of chickens outside. And in the present, we crammed those chickens into smaller spaces. Not because people don't care, but because the economics of smaller spaces, a more dense operation makes sense. This is the next step. And it won't just be us, it'll be other companies and even meat companies, I think in the decades ahead, that will only make meat this way. In 20, 30 years, do you think people will find eating meat from a dead animal strange? I think our grandkids will uh, look at us and think it was bizarre that we needed billions of animals and we needed to slaughter them to just enjoy chicken. Um, and I think they'll be, um, they'll be excited um, to live in a world in which that doesn't happen. You know, one of the cool things we've seen from young people in Singapore is they don't just mind that their meat is made in a stainless steel vessel, they think it's awesome. And I think that gives me a, a ton of hope about where things are gonna go. That's amazing to think. They think it's awesome, right? They think but it's awesome. That encapsulates right? this new generation. It's not that it's not it's not that young people don't mind. Yeah. They're kind of okay with it. They think it's cool, right? Why wouldn't you want to do it in this way? It's archaic to put animals, you know, body to body in a warehouse. One of the things that we're going to be doing in this facility to sort of celebrate that notion is we want people to visit our meat facility. Um, we want to give tours of it. We want people to be able to touch the pyroreactor. We want people to understand that meat can be made in a different way in a typical animal facility. 
doesn't have a visitor's program, right? Um, the doors are locked, the window shades are pulled down, um, and we sort of blind ourselves to how meat is made. This new generation uh, of kids will be able to see it, and I think they'll feel a lot of pride, and I think they'll probably want to do it themselves too. So I need to worry about competition. <laughs> That's a great idea. So one day they could be coming in here, walking around this bioreactor facility that we have here. Yeah, when this, when this facility opens up early next year, one of the first things we're doing is gonna bring young people in. Um, we're gonna we're gonna walk them around. We're gonna um, hear their ideas about um, how we how we should make even more. And I'm always um, I feel like when I when I talk to young people like uh, uh, like um, Kaya and and Jack and others who have been uh, been a part of this, um, I hear um, a want for us to go faster, and I hear just a complete ease with the idea of, of how we're making it. And um, I think it's up to people like me that are, are in my 40s and, and older to realize that the frame of reference that a 17-year-old have is just completely different. In 30, 40 years from now, they're gonna be running the world. They're gonna be making meat. Um, and uh, it gives me, gives me a ton of hope. And what's interesting about good meat, of course, is that it's not a vegan product. And it's deliberately targeted at non-vegans, right? We have yeah. Chef Francis Melman, I believe, came to Singapore and tried it. How important is it for you as the CEO to have legendary king of carnival, Chef yeah. Francis Melman, come and try it? Yeah, so good meat was not designed for vegans. Um, it was designed not to be for vegans. It's designed for people, for people who really love eating animal flesh. Um, you know, people that don't like it, including my, my girlfriend, Shelly, uh, when she eats it, she has sort of a negative reaction to it because she doesn't eat animals. When the carnivore king, Francis Malman, eats it, <laughs> it excites him about what it could be. He thinks it's delicious and he, he wants more of it and he wants thicker portions that he can put over a bonfire, you know, next to his house in Patagonia. But I think this, this idea that we can recognize that human beings are imperfect and that's okay. And we've got to build a food system that recognizes that, that recognize that meets people where they are. People love meat and we just need to figure out a mo way to make it uh, in a better way for them. So you've been running Eat Just Now for nine years. That's a long time from vision to actualization of your vision. Yeah. Tell us about the highs and lows about getting here yeah. as an entrepreneur and yeah. you know, some advice for other yeah. entrepreneurs who want to change the world by making better, more sustainable products. So I was, I was talking to these two students, Key and Ruby, about the progression over the last few years. And they remember when I um, spoke to their school, it was like four or five years ago when they were in fourth grade. Um, and I, uh, I told the story of this chicken named Ian, uh, who we, um, uh, it was a, an inspirational idea where we could get a cell from Ian and we could figure out a way to make chicken for the world. Um, and that time we didn't have a product, we didn't have a production facility, we didn't have hundreds of millions of dollars to invest, we didn't have all these food engineers and process engineers to make it happen. So I think as an entrepreneur, you need to figure out a way to combine two things. One is have a big vision that stretches you, your moral imagination and others, and also have the resilience to know that when the lights are off, when everyone is gone from this event, 
there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, a lot of work that's not sexy, uh, a lot of work that is just in the granular details of how you source materials to build the shell of this vessel. How do you allocate hundreds of millions of dollars? How do you identify people to work in a facility like this? How do you continue to motivate them? And I think it takes both elements. Um, and, and more than anything, this, the thing that sustains me is I want to live in a world where we've figured this out. What would it look like if we've solved this? Um, that's a world that I'd be really proud of. And that's the world I want to fight for. A quick word about our sponsor for this episode, Our Future Nature is brought to you today by Authentic Gallery. Authentic Gallery makes buying and collecting stunning and impactful art easy with a high percentage of proceeds of every purchase going towards vetted partner charities. If you want to buy art and contribute to an impactful cause, well, check out Authentic Gallery, spelled A-W-E-T-H-E-N-T-I-C gallery.com. And as a very special treat to my listeners, you can use the discount code OFN2022, that's OFN2022, to receive 10% off all of my limited edition prints. So visit Authentic Gallery now to start browsing. Thanks very much. Talking about the 17-year-olds who have a different mindset. On the daily news, they see every day climate change, burning rainforests. The Amazon's going to be a savanna within 10, 15 years. The corals are disappearing. All large mammals in the ocean are going to be gone by 2050. It's a never-ending assault on their optimism, their hope. Obviously, the food system is one of the problems with how we, we survive as a species here. Is yeah. good meat one of the solutions to solving these crises? I think the um, every day, as you said, young people hear and listen and feel about about what is wrong. And I think there's a, a certain percentage of them that can hear it and then decide they want to do something about it. And I think there are a lot of choices for a young person to do something about it. They can organize in their community. They can help more people have access to voting. They can build a renewable energy company or they can change how we eat. We're not going to restore the oceans. We're not going to mitigate climate change. We're not going to eat food that um, doesn't accelerate disease unless we do what we need to do. So good meat is at the, the very tip of the spear of, of solving this problem. But we want other people to follow. Like when we give tours of this place, I want young people to see this and think I could build something bigger. I can make it happen faster. I can make better tasting chicken. Um, if, uh, if we do that, that'll, that'll also be a big win. What advice do you have for young entrepreneurs who have a vision but may not have the resources, yeah. as you say, the technical resources, food scientists, yeah. what would be your advice to them to go out and create yeah. something new? I, I would say to those entrepreneurs that, so first is you gotta, when you wanna build a company, find something that is an urgent need. There are a lot of things that you can build, but there are not a lot of meaningful things that you can build. And you'll probably know the difference of whether it's actually meaningful or not. Is it? Is it helping to mitigate acidification of the ocean? Um, is it helping us to reduce uh, the harm that we're inflicting on billions of animals? Is it helping to solve a homelessness problem in your local community? Something that is really meaningful, so that's one. The second is, you know, I'm not a biochemist. I didn't study process engineering. I studied sociology and government in school. 
Um, and you need to recognize what, what you're good at and find people that are leaders in their fields. And at first they're gonna probably ignore you and you should keep asking and you should keep asking other people and you should talk to your friends and family members and teachers and help them, ask them to connect you to more people. And eventually one will fall and they'll join your team and they'll be a little bit easier to recruit the third and the 10th. And now where we're at the 253rd um, and uh, then you'll still have a lot of hard work ahead of you. <laughs> it never stops, right? It'll never stop. It'll never <laughs> stop. And this is not, um, if, you're, if you're interested in a, uh, if you're interested in just having a, a peaceful working life, I urge you not to do this. <laughs> <laughs> meaningful life. Meaningful life. This is about meaning. It's not about, not about, uh, not about just serenity. I, I get a lot of I get a lot of peace knowing that I'm throwing my life towards something meaningful. That's where my peace comes from. Now you're an American, but yeah. we're here in Singapore. Singapore is now largely recognized as one of the leaders in food tech and food tech investment. You are at the spearhead of that, uh, at the tip of that uh, change. Why Singapore, not the U.S.? And have yeah. you seen a much bigger sort of increase in interest from investors in SDG focused? Yeah. businesses like yours. Yeah. So Singapore for us, um, Tomasic invested in us um, way back in 2014. So I had been traveling to Singapore since then. And we decided to go forward in Singapore first because the ecosystem of Singapore is thinking and making policies about 2030, 2060, 2070. Um, and we felt like because of a, a focus on just evidence, not politics and a more future oriented approach, it'd be a good place to submit our application first. Second, consumers are very open. Um, they're very open to an idea that something can be different and that is okay. There's an enormous amount of pride. You know, when we opened this facility today, we talked about how meat is made in Singapore. Um, when you make meat in Singapore, you don't hear the balking of 100,000 chickens. When you make meat in Singapore, you don't see 100,000 birds on a floor. You see a stainless steel, highly engineered vessel without all the issues. And um, Singapore's leadership has catalyzed the industry. Um, hundreds of millions of dollars have flowed in. It is accelerated work of regulators in the US and in Qatar and China because Singapore, China included cultivated meat to its five-year agricultural plan. Um, so I think when we look back 50 years from now at what are the places that were the inflection points, it'll, it'll start here. This is the first of many to come, presumably, in Singapore. Yeah, this is, this is one of what we hope in the decades that are many production facilities that we build. What's your vision for good meat in, say, 10 or 20 years? Uh, 10 or 20 years, we're producing hundreds of millions of pounds of meat. 40, 50, 60 years, we're producing many hundreds of billions of pounds of meat. Um, and ultimately, I want to figure out how to live in a world where I know the majority of the meat produced on that day didn't require the slaughter of an animal. Um, and that's not going to be easy. Um, it's not always going to be peaceful, um, but but it will be meaningful work. We had Minister Grace Fu, who's the Minister for Sustainability and the Environment of Singapore, come today. What does that mean for you um, and, and the future of Good Meat? You know, I, um, 
I was standing up in the audience um, watching watching the minister talk, and she, I think, really perfectly articulated why this matters. She talked about food security. She talked about climate. She talked about Singapore as a leader. She talked about how we need to go faster. Um, and you know, to go from talking to a handful of uh, young people in Singapore a few years ago. Um, I don't think anyone uh, else really wanted an audience with me to standing and watching her be the leader that she is um, with a, a picture of our chicken in the background. It's a pretty special thing. I can imagine. Just finally, you're the CEO of Eat Just and Good Meat. Eat Just, of course, your star product is Just Egg, which I don't know if you can answer this, but yeah, which product do you think has more potential? Or which yeah. product lines? Is it going to be more the cultivated meat or is it more the yeah. uh, alternative think, protein ones? Like I think for I think for the egg, um, cultivated meat actually doesn't work as a technology because you actually have to build the entirety of the egg. So that's a, a real future challenge. So I think in trying to focus on the egg, a plant-based approach is the most optimal, but everything else, especially the meats, pork and beef and chicken and lamb, seafoods, um, we think cultivating meat is the, is the breakout technology. And what about the next product? Is it gonna be beef? Are you it'll, be, to say? it'll be beef, yeah. We'll, we'll submit an application to SFA, the regulator here in Singapore before the end of the year. Um, and uh, hopefully we get the approval and we're launching ground beef at, uh, at, at a hawker stand sometime next year. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Thank cool. you so much. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Our Future Nature. Please remember to like and subscribe to keep up with the latest episodes. And if you enjoyed the podcast, it would really help if you could take a minute to leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. Much appreciated. Please follow us on Instagram at Our Future Nature Pod for behind the scenes and extra information. You can also follow me at Shawnee Davis want to be updated on the work that I do in green entrepreneurship, advocacy, and conservation. And finally, Our Future Nature was produced and powered by Authentic Studio. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Our Future Nature is brought to you by Authentic Gallery.